0: You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required.
1: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 153 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Dadu Worldwide himself, Master of Ceremonies, Jay Desai. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I am so,
0: so good. How are you adjusting back to American life? Well been a few weeks.
1: Yeah, I'm a little sad. I mean, jet lag is kind of over, but I do miss the food. I mean, I got to admit, it it's not the same.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. So, uh you just got back from Dana Point. You were
1: yes. covering for me out there. That's right, because you are out with our good friends from Johnny Swim. So, talk to us about the tour a little bit. First off, there are there's
0: no one better in all the land than Brother Gene Kim. Oh, 100%. He's a sage. I he's just so wise. Uh, I have really enjoyed that. The tour's been awesome. Uh, they it's just a three piece again, like we did last Christmas. But these lovely people are just unreal. Um, I have a friend Abby that's out with us. That she is Jean's A two, and she's crushing. Uh, it's been fun to watch Jean. She's had to deal with me for two years, you know. Uh, uh, she she volunteers at Passion City. And then she just got off Pantera and Metallica. She was a fly tech. Nice. Uh, and then now she's got the total opposite with Complete a, change of pace. Uh, acoustic Johnny Swim and Gene Kim. So Gene is a, a girl dad, so he's been amazing with her. Like, he texted me the other day, he's like, I'm going to walk over the mall with Abby. And then he sends me a photo from Sephora. So <laughs> I think Gene's OK. But um, it really has been amazing. It goes to show that the people you choose to give a piece of your life to and live with, the benefit of that is unreal. There has been laughter and tears in the deepest way. Yeah, And I haven't seen a lot of these cats in a few months. So it's been really, really special. Uh, check out johnnyswim.com, see if you can come to a show. And uh, we love – we had Ryan Lewis came and saw us in Raleigh recently. Nice. Um, he fixed the house PA. <laughs> so, That's amazing. You
1: know. It's been really, really cool. And you, you were in Greenville on Sunday, and I couldn't come because I was filling in for you on a gig so that you could be on the tour. But my girls were able to go. I had the best time. You talk about how you guys connect on the tour and how Gene cares for people the way he does. But you do the same thing, my friend. I mean, you made my girls feel so at home and like they were special, and they just had the best time uh, Stella talks about you all the time and they just love you. And I don't know, I don't know why, but they do. So I get it. Stella and I talked about boys. (laughs) Uh Oh yeah, it was
0: good. It was good advice. Um, I just said no, no to boys. (laughs) Real simple. It's the best advice. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Best advice. No, it was really, really sweet. And, uh, we were at the Greenville festival, which I'd never been to.
1: Yeah. Fall for Greenville.
0: Yeah, it was it was really was amazing. Had a great day. Walked around. I love methodical coffee. Oh yeah, of course. I didn't get to go to Lewis because uh, my day was a little busy and it was a little far away. But
1: well, you're not um, allowed to go there without me. So yeah, that's that's going to be our next date. Is
0: you come yeah. up to Greenville and we go was, to Lewis barbecue together. So but your girls were great. They watched the show up front of the house with Gene for a little bit, and then yep. I texted them to come side stage, and they stood side stage and. They just, it's a great perspective. Abner and Amanda are so interactive with anyone. So it was, uh, it was very, there were some other, Sam and Craig Walker. You remember yep. Sam and Craig, uh, Craig at New Spring, Sam used to in Spring. They were there. And so they, we all got to hang out and have a great time.
1: And they got, they got some merch and you didn't. I need one of those sweatshirts though. It's, it's a pretty cool, like it's, the, it's one of the few tour sweatshirts that I would say I would actually wear that uh they it's something like
0: reverse terry french terry cloth. i don't even know what that means but it was a
1: little like softy soft and i love mine i actually
0: wear it all the time
1: well i know that i know that you won't send me one so please tell gene to send me one <laughs> i will for
0: sure <laughs> uh, i'm sure gene's ready Yeah, i'll just i'll note it right now um no it really was amazing to be in greenville and the crowd was great And abner and amanda they just leave it on stage yeah actually they go out into the crowd every night my least favorite just because i hate loud noises and i hate crowds is walking them into the middle of the crowd every single night for them to close out the show
1: so well it's really precious and they just their heart for people and the way they care about their audience and their listeners is just it's so cool to see i just and i love their music it's just oh yeah most of you
0: guys don't even know who because everyone probably listens to this podcast is probably under 25. But uh, if you remember Donna Summers, Amanda is Donna Summers' daughter. And Abner is just got the biggest heart uh, always for everyone. And so it's just fun. They're super fun. So check out their music. They're fun.
1: Yep. And we'll go from there. Good. We've got a great interview today. We had a really great conversation recently with the team from Rupert Neve Designs. And so for any of you audio folks out there who know about Rupert Neve, have a Neve logo somewhere on your console or on a piece of gear, you're going to love hearing from these guys because we're going to talk all about the history and the products and what's in store for them and their company. So buckle up and we'll get to it right after this. Well, we're really excited today to be joined by our friends from Rupert Neve Designs, Greg Addington and Chris Duray are here uh, to chat with Jay and me about their company and their products and some of their processes. So guys, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks so
3: much for having us. Thanks for having us.
1: Sorry, guys, to start off on a bad foot, but Jeff,
0: it is for sure Jay and I.
1: It is Jay and me. Are you sure? Yes, thank you for joining Jay and me on the podcast. Jay and I are happy to see you on the podcast.
0: I mean, you were probably around when English was invented, so I think that's probably
3: correct, guys. I stand, I stand corrected, guys. Well, he did go to the University of Michigan, Jay. So
1: This is true. Yeah. This is very true. So, Greg and Chris, you don't know, but Jay always gives me grief for my uh, being a stickler for grammar. So, um, you know, I have to take it, but I know how to.
2: I know how to make sure that I'm correct.
0: I'm the worst, and I was born in England.
2: I, I, I understand it all. It's very often my job to be the grammar police um, at the company. You know, being a brand manager, it is one of my duties.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So why don't you tell us, Chris, um, what is your role, and what is your kind of history in terms of how you got involved with
2: um, Neve Products and Rupert Neve Designs in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in the Northeast. I went to college in upstate New York and got my degree in music up there. And where um, at a Skidmore College in Saratoga okay. Springs. Um, I studied. I grew up in Western New York State. Oh, um, yeah, south of Buffalo.
1: So I'm familiar yeah. with. All you know, upstate New York is very familiar to me.
2: No, it's, it's a, it's a great place. And I am, um, I, I grew up in Salem, Massachusetts originally, and, and started okay. playing instruments at a very young age and went to school for music uh, afterwards and was always very into that. But uh, I started getting into music production in college and I, I took advantage of the studio there at school and booked it out when nobody else was in there, you know, between midnight and 4am, I was in there all the time when it was nice and quiet and. That was kind of my first experience with um, recording anything at all, aside from using my cassette recorder at home. And I got really into overdubs and sampling and and sound in general. And um, I I am very fortunate to be able to say that I have a family member who encouraged me to get into this side of the business. I have to give a shout out to Ivana Manley, who is my aunt. And uh, it, nice. it just completely fortuitous, you know, I happened to be into music and when I was in college, she said, hey, Chris, nephew, why don't you come out and work for Manly for a little bit and learn about how we make gear. And so the summers that I was in college, I came out to California, I learned all about analog electronics and the way things were the way things should be built over at Manly, which is a very unique place to learn about such things um, as they do everything under one roof. And I worked for Manly for a long time until uh, 2011. Um, I was there for a number of years. And then uh, in 2011, uh, I left Manly to work with Rupert Neve Designs. And I've been working with Rupert Neve Designs ever since. And um, I've worked in a, a lot of capacities um, from at Manly with manufacturing Um, and then moving into sales and marketing. And then with Rupert Neve Designs, it was sales and marketing. And then for the last five years, six years or so, um, I've been the brand manager at Rupert Neve Designs, uh, partly because it's a small company, smaller than many people think, um, and we all wear a lot of hats. And uh, it is, you know, brand manager was a nice generic title that could cover Marketing and sales and content and web and sort of all of the things that fall under that. But these days, my, my if I had to summarize what it is, uh, my job is basically to make sure that wherever the R logo shows up, uh, that the brand is being represented the way that we feel it should be. And especially now, after Rupert's passing, um, you know, we we are in a, a position where we are honored to be the caretakers of such an exceptional legacy of an exceptional man. And um, Rupert Neve Designs exists to carry on that legacy and those design ideologies and to continue producing products the way that he would have and always has historically produced products. That is what we do as a company.
1: That's really cool. Well, I love that. We're going to get into talking about the products specifically here in a few minutes, but Greg, why don't you give us kind of your uh, elevator pitch on your uh, history as well? We'd love to hear where you got started and just some more of those details.
3: Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I bet like a lot of people in this industry that I find, I, you know, I started out as a musician, um, not professional, just a, a guitar player who was very, very interested in audio and when i uh went to the university here in michigan not the university of michigan but a university in michigan um <laughs> i i was interested in all things um media related so i took the media and film uh course of study which it had you know we did television production we did film production but one of the things we did is is you know you had the opportunity to work in a recording studio so i like automatically you know that was the thing i gravitated toward of course and and got to uh, you know had the great fortune to work in a studio for a couple of years and uh when i graduated i started working um music retail uh at a retailer here in michigan who sold pro tools and had all the 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 pro audio tools that that someone might need to do professional recording with. So, uh, you know, again, I had this, this kind of opportunity to work with these tools that professionals might use. um, And, you know, just loved selling products and helping people out with, uh, with pro audio. And I did that for a few years. And then um, I wanted uh, to uh, try my hand at songwriting and I knew I that Michigan wasn't the best place. So I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. (laughs) And with with that, I got a job working for Soundcraft consoles and I, and I worked with Soundcraft for about 11 or 12 years and then um, had the opportunity to work for Avid live sound. And I worked for Avid for uh, seven or eight years selling their, um, their live sound solutions
0: the profile is still the greatest control
3: surface <laughs> people love the profile man it's like you know the mushroom knobs right um so yeah i did that for for a while and then um i i knew josh from from back in my amec uh, or from back in my harmon days josh worked for amec um, when I worked for Soundcraft and I met Josh, you know, over twenty years ago, and uh, had the opportunity to go work for Rupert Neve Designs, and I jumped on it. Um, of course, that was seven or eight years ago, and uh, that's when I met Chris and the gang, and uh, I've been very happy ever since.
1: That's great. Well, you know, you guys have both uh, had experience with and have referenced great brands, even so far in your in your history. I mean. Anybody who's ever been in a studio, like for our listeners, if you've never worked with a Manly Vox box, you need to figure out a way to do that because that's an incredible piece of gear. All their gear is built like a tank. So Chris, for you to learn manufacturing from that perspective is just a a really cool history. And then Greg, I mean, in the studio where I was in, in Atlanta, we had a Soundcraft 6000 as our analog front end for all, all of our recording. And obviously Soundcraft is just you know, legendary in terms of the quality of their products and avid, you know, from the live sound perspective, we all love the profile and that whole, you know, venue ecosystem has been just so impactful for so many people. So you guys bring obviously a wealth of experience to your role now at Rupert Neve Designs, but let's talk about in terms of history, let's talk about history of Rupert Neve Designs because many people know about Rupert and his genius um, many people have maybe worked with products with our logo on the front panel, but let's just talk about the company history a little bit. You guys fill our listeners in on what they need to know about Rupert Neve Designs.
2: Uh, a- absolutely, I'll I'll take this one uh, as as the guy who. Wrote the history page on the new, the newer website that we developed a couple of years ago. Um, so don't this, just read we, the
1: page, though. Don't just read I, that. I copy. won't. I, gotta- I won't. I won't do it.
2: I, I've internalized it pretty well at this point. <laughs> but with that said, um, I do encourage anybody listening to go to RupertNeve.com/history because um, we worked really hard at building out a page that would give a proper overview of ninety-four years of. This man's life, you know, which which was yeah. remarkable in so many ways. And I, 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 what I'd like to do is kind of start at the beginning for you, and I'll give you the brief synopsis of the whole thing, because, like you said, most people are familiar with um, with the name Neve, but perhaps not understand the differentiation between the different um, sort of seasons of his his career path. So, a, a long time ago, in a galaxy far. Far away um, in in the UK, Rupert founded the Rupert Neve Company um, in the '60s, and this you know this was at a time even before then, prior to then, when there was no such thing as a uh, a console mixing console manufacturer. You couldn't just go buy a console from someone. Studios had consoles commissioned specifically for them. Um, EMI now Abbey Road. Um, Phillips Records in London, you know, these are the the consoles were built in-house for the needs of the studio. And you couldn't just call up a company and say, I want to buy a mixing console. First of all, because nobody needed one um, for what they were doing. This is the way that music was made then. It's not like people had consoles in their houses or anything. There was no Pro Tools. So Rupert uh, was commissioned to build and or work on a handful of these desks in the 60s, And they were very successful for these particular studios for whom he built them. And because of this, he was able to found a business, the Rupert Neve Company. And um, this company uh, flourished very, very rapidly. It grew incredibly fast. And from the late 60s until the mid-70s, this is when everything that people associate with a vintage Neve, this is when it came out. Um, the mm-hmm. 1073, the 2254, 1081, the 80 series consoles, the the classics, you know, the stuff that everybody um, idolizes and and fetishizes to some degree, you know, the the old gear because it it is undeniably great. Um, in 1975 slash six around there, Rupert sold the Neve company. He said, "This company is big. i have you know I've built it to where it needs to be." I'm going to sell it. I'm going to retire. It's going to be great. And, and of course it's worth noting that at the time, nobody had any idea that 50 years later, the name Neve would still be a a thing, you know? Hmm. Um, so he sold the company in the mid seventies, um, continued to help out with a couple of projects here and there. This kind of ended with the, the air Montserrat console and some of the, um, that, you know, the, the, 80, the culmination of the 80 series desks sort of the end of Rupert's tenure there. And since then, the Neve name uh, and logo, the N logo from then has been bought and sold a number of times and ended up in a number of places. Um, Rupert signed a 10 year non-compete clause at the time. And he went and helped churches with their uh, acoustic design and with radio programming and, um, and uh, then 10 years later, when this was up, he founded Focusrite, which is another name that people are aware of now. And Rupert designed the original ISA 110 and 130 modules, um, Rupert, and then the, the Forte consoles uh, at the time. And unfortunately for all of his design acumen, Rupert was historically not always the best business person. Um, and this led to Focusrite, um, basically its assets being liquidated at the time the company went under. Um, these consoles were too expensive to build. It wasn't all being managed properly. Um, and Phil Dutteridge bought the assets of Focusrite and turned Focusrite into what it is today, which is an amazing company, but very different from from how it originally started. You know, with the type of products they make, called philosophy. So. Then in the 90s, this was in the 80s, by the way, that this happened, mid mid to late 80s. Then in the 90s, Rupert did a lot of um, contract design work with a number of brands, um, AMEC being a notable one with the ninety ninety-eight console and uh, That's Galileo. a great console,
1: by the way. I got to mix a bunch of stuff on that Rupert Neve AMEC collab console, yes. and it is awesome.
2: Well, what's interesting it, it is I I agree completely. And people who own Amec consoles, um, especially the ninety ninety eight they they they're willing to speak very highly of this because it is a, a crowning achievement in analog console design in many ways. And it's what's interesting is to look at this arc of Rupert's designs through the years, the sound and the feature sets and the operational principles of the early Neve consoles, through the 80 series consoles, through the Focusrite Forte, through the AMAC 9098, and they keep getting more and more complicated as time goes on. They do more and more and more, and they sound wonderful. At the end of the day, this is kind of the bottom line is the sound, but they just kept getting more complicated. And obviously, at this by this point in the 80s and 90s, we're entering a digital age. We're entering an age where things are a lot easier to do in digital and they're actually starting to sound good, you know, it, by the later period, you know, it's, we're starting <laughs> to get there. And, um, <laughs> so after AMEC was bought by Harmon and Harman decided not to make pro audio a priority. Um, this department, this whole section of AMEC kind of, kind of was left by the wayside. And so in the early 2000s, um, Rupert called Josh Thomas. Josh had been, um, J- Greg, what was Josh's title at AMEC? He was the sales manager. He was the sales manager. Okay, so, so Rupert and Josh had known each other for a long time, and they'd worked together at AMEC. And um, Rupert said, Josh, I'd like to start a new company, and I'd like to build consoles again, but I'd like to do it the way I've always done it. I want it to be simple. I want to, do, I want to go back to what made these original desks great, but I want to improve upon it. Because if there's one thing Rupert did not like talking about, it was the 1073. Everybody wanted to ask Rupert for decades <laughs> about the 1073. And he said, why does everybody care so much about the best thing that I could design in the late 60s, early 70s? I can do so much better now the distortion is lower the specs are better it's more musical everything's better and so Rupert was always interested in taking these same design principles and advancing them and pushing the limits of auditory perception until um you know, the, the goal being you feel that you are in the room with this performance. And he was always working at that. And he, he And for always, people who
1: don't know, sorry to interrupt you, Chris, yeah, of course. but for people who don't know, the 1073 is basically a legendary EQ preamp that um, basically a lot of people have built products and modules with the number 73 attached to it because it's an homage to that original. Rupert Neve design of that classic sounding and even it's funny that he would he would say the goals for him were so far beyond that because everybody looks to that as such a benchmark of classic analog architecture and sound that you know even from the 60s to today it's just it's legendary I mean plug-in manufacturers other hardware manufacturers yeah, everybody. It's like, oh, if you have eight, ten, seventy threes, and a good two bus, you can make a great record. Like, just record your drums, and you're good to go. So it's like, it's funny that his his uh, design goal and ethic would be to just push far beyond that because everybody looks to it as such a standard.
2: Well, he he always said that a designer's work is never done. Mm. Um, you're always on a quest to achieve perfection which is unattainable um but you are always on that quest and so this this is why he kept doing what he did for his entire life he was on this quest and rupert neve designs was founded um by josh and rupert in 2005 to continue and uh Rupert was aware it would be the culmination of this because he was in his seventies when he founded this company at the time. And he lived to be 94 years old. Um, He passed away just a few years ago and um, he was always in pursuit of that. And this is why Rupert Neve Designs exists is the team at Rupert Neve Designs was assembled by Rupert and Josh. Uh, the engineering team specifically I'm talking about here, to continue these design philosophies because there are some basic uh, electrical or mechanical or philosophical principles that guide why this equipment sounds the way it does. And mm. our the hardest thing for us, because like you said, there's a lot of things out there that have the R logo or that have the N logo on them. Um, and look or have the same knobs as some of the vintage gear. But the point being, they weren't designed by Rupert. Rupert didn't have his hand in it. And you can follow a schematic so far. You can use the same components so far. But the sound of a Rupert Neve design is not based on just any one of those elements in isolation. It's a very holistic thing about the way that the Class A electronics and discrete components work in harmony with the custom transformer designs at the output of the unit. It's all of these things working together. It's not any one of them in isolation. So you could say, oh, well, I'll take a transformer from a vintage piece of gear. It's the same one that they used then, and then these are the same components, and you put them together, and there are differences. There's always differences. And so at the the end of the day, you have to spend a lot of time listening Um, to really make these changes. And that was probably something that Rupert was better at than, you know, nearly a hundred percent of the population was listening.
1: That's fascinating. You know, it's, it's always been funny to me how various manufacturers products, they just have, they just have those differences. Some of it is about design philosophy, but some of it is about components and how, you know, if you turn the knob, you know, plus three DB at 10 K on a summit EQ versus a Neve EQ versus a Pultec EQ versus a Massenberg EQ, they're all going to sound different, even though it's plus 2 dB at 10K, that's the adjustment that you're making. Those nuances are are why we need these different products in the first place. So how do you guard that? Like now that he's passed, now that he's, you know, his it's not his ears that are on everything. How I mean it's important for you guys to because that is the legacy of the company. That is the, what makes the design so distinctive and so excellent. So as a company, in terms of philosophy, how do you make sure that that's protected?
2: So when Rupert founded the company, he used to do weekly transformer design classes with the engineering mm. team there. And we have all of his original transformer design notebooks, all the original schematics, all of his original notes. Um, and he would teach the team what he would listen for. And this is part of this is a, a really, really huge element of it is teaching people how to listen. And you couple that with a few basic philosophies that say this equipment needs to do this or it needs to have this. Class A electronics are a big part of it. Um, high headroom, very robust power supplies are a huge part of it. Um, very, very wide bandwidth is a very big part of it as well. All of our equipment, uh, pr- pretty much all of it is um, two octaves below flat, flat from two octaves below human hearing, the range of human hearing, two octaves above at least. Um, it's usually flat flat down to about um, 10 hertz, five hertz. And extends well up beyond 100 kilohertz on the top end. Uh, Rupert was a very big believer in the fact that even though these frequencies are not audible, you cannot hear technically over about 20 k on your best day when you're a teenager. Um, but yeah, I
1: stopped hearing <laughs> that a long time ago.
2: <laughs> but, as did as did many, and and he he was of the uh, of the belief though that. It's not necessarily about hearing at that point, it's about perception. And he was yeah, you can still feel a, it. He was a big believer that you can still perceive these frequencies and that they affect the frequencies that are in the audible band. Um, a lot of this has to do with maintaining a very strict type of uh, strict control over the type and amount of harmonic saturation that occurs, um, whether it's from the transformer or from a piece of circuitry, within the unit as a whole, emphasizing only second order and third order harmonics. These are musically relevant harmonics. It makes perfect sense when you think about it that way. You've got octave, and octave and a fifth. Um, This is what enhances the sound that is coming through it. It's what makes it sound more alive on the other end Mm. than it did when it came through. And this has always been a huge part of the way that our gear sounds is the ratio of those harmonics from the vintage gear to the current gear. And with the current gear, we've put it on a knob. This would be the silk knob that every, or, well, the silk switch and the texture knob or the harmonics knob on the newer gear. Um, this allows you to control the amount of those second and third order harmonics. Um, so you can make it sound more saturated, like the classic gear did. Um or it can be a lot more clean and transparent, like the more modern gear. Um, so that that's been a big uh, change over the years is you know maintaining maintaining that same uh, relationship of harmonics with the audio, musically relevant harmonics, but the ability to shape them and decide how much or how little you want in your recording
1: that's really that's really cool i love I love that the technical and the artistic and esoteric are combined in a corporate philosophy in that way. I remember there was one year at the AES convention I heard Rupert give a talk and it was it was around I don't remember the exact year, but it was it was around that time that I had my first experience with the 5045, the primary source enhancer. And when you read the manual that comes with that piece of gear, it's it's not a how-to, it's a, at the time at least, it was a very colorful description of the philosophy around a lot of different things that had very little to do with how to turn the knob. And I love that about him and the way he described things, because it wasn't just as a scientist, it wasn't just as an engineer, it was just as much as an artist and how, like you say, how we perceive things. And so you know, you talk about second and third order harmonics, you might, you know, somebody turns the knob and they might describe it in terms of richness or thickness or, you know, saturation to the best we understand that as an adjective. And I just think it's fascinating to me to hear somebody who was so adept at describing the art as well as the science of what we get to do.
2: Well, for him, the, the, it was always all about the listener. Rupert loved chamber music. He loved live performances. He liked being mm-hmm. in a hall and hearing real instruments in a beautiful room. And his goal was always to transport the listener to that place. And he was very obviously, you know, a lifetime of passion behind this one thing. Um, I I, I know you told me not to read the website, but I am going to read one quote, (laughs) if you don't mind. (laughs) We'll take a quote. That's fine. (laughs) One quote from the man himself. So Rupert, Rupert said, I think this summarizes what we're talking about right now. Technology must always be in service of the song and performance. Our job as engineers is to use our creative gifts to help reproduce the full breadth of emotion and meaning as intended by the musicians, such that the listener can have a more powerful experience." End quote. I
1: mean, we just, need, we just need to pause there and let people rewind and replay that quote about 10 times. Because there are so many live sound engineers that would benefit from implementing that very quote. Because so many people think, I'll just stick my thumb drive in the console, load my session, push up the faders and I'm good to go. And it's like, man, it is so much more than that. It's so much more than just twisting knobs and pushing faders. It's it's about the audience experience and capturing what the performance is and translating it in such a way that it's impactful and meaningful and powerful for people. And you know, I, I talk to people all the time about the the art of mixing as much as I do, the tech of mixing and man it's so it's so valuable to hear that from him because that's exactly what it is especially in live sound you know we're most of our audience is you know working in live sound whether it's live in front of a pa or whether it's in a broadcast setting you know but mostly house of worship and mostly live and you know mostly amateur musicians really we don't have a ton of churches that are working with pros and so to get the best out of our volunteers from the stage, to capture it the best it can be, and then to translate that into the PA or into a broadcast mix the best that it can be. Um, you know, that's, that's what it's all about.
0: How did, how did the products start making their way live? They were intended for studio. I mean, besides guys just loving it, it was never the intention, right? Is that what I'm reading? To kind of get into the live space.
2: For most of the products, yeah. Greg, Greg can take this one.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I, and I think that a lot of these concepts that we've been talking about here, kind of, um, and the nice way to sum it up is to talk, is to really um, talk about Rupert's faith. And you know, I don't know if if, if everybody knows this, but Rupert was a very devout man. Um, he attended church regularly there in in Wimberley, Texas, where the headquarters of Rupert New Designs is. And um, you know i think the 5045 is a good example of a product that that was born you know uh, necessities of mother of invention and i think that this this product uh, is is a real testament to that in that you know uh, one of the things that 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 you know bothered rupert was you have a um, you have these the you know uh, a a message to deliver in, in a in a setting like that and nothing worse getting in the way is a ringing microphone or feedback or, um, you know, noise or something that distracts from that. And the 5045, the primary source enhancer was really born to solve that problem, um, in a house of worship, uh, setting specifically, um, in that having a product that you can, and I, and I don't know, um, uh, you know what the audience knows about this product, but it's a product that you can you can set up to add more gain before feedback in a live sound microphone. Um, most most of the time, it's used on vocal microphones or on a pastor mic or you know a choir mic or you know it's lots of them are used in, in live sound settings for uh, on stage for for performers that go in front of a PA. It's it's a real lifesaver. But it works, you know, in wedge situations or anywhere where where there's a speaker maybe pointing back at at a microphone, um, and that and there's a problem to be solved there because you can add um, on the extreme level up to twenty more dB of gain before feedback, um, which is extraordinary. Uh, even in you know in most situations, if you're able to get a few dB more gain before feedback, yeah, uh, it's a it's a real lifesaver.
1: Yeah, Jay and, and I, the- I have a mutual friend who we've done a lot of live events with, and he is a producer of live events. And he's not an audio professional, but uh, when that box first came out, um, every time I was on an event with him, he would say, hey, did you bring the voodoo box? Because he didn't understand how it worked. He just knew that it was vital to what we were doing
2: anytime we had a mic, especially if- I'm
0: still not sure how it works. I still think it's a
2: voodoo box. We, we so do we. We also don't understand how it works because you don't have our engineering team on the on the line. <laughs> yeah, but it really is it really
1: is amazing. I mean, twelve to fifteen DB at least more game before feedback. And um it's it, i I just think for a lot of live events it's an indispensable tool.
0: And that five hundred series version of it's amazing. It'll be way more compact and tourable as well.
3: Yeah, that's a good point, Jay.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, also worth pointing out with the the 500 series version, you'll notice, anyone who's familiar with the full rack width two-channel version uh, will notice that there are slightly fewer switches or options on the 500 series one. Um, These were developed based on feedback from existing 5045 users, and we said, what settings do you actually use most? Um, And we've actually heard reports from a number of people that the um, 500 series version, the 5.4.5, is actually easier and faster to use, um, which is saying a lot because the 5045 is a very, very simple tool to operate.
0: Yeah, we needed to get it simpler for guys like me that didn't know what the knobs did anyway. So (laughs) You could remote in and adjust the knobs for me. I'd really appreciate it.
2: I'm with you, Jay. One thing that I think is relevant here that I'll just interject quickly is along the lines of what Greg said, it is true that much of your audience may not know this, but yes, Rupert was a very devout man. His father uh, was a missionary um, and he spent much of his childhood in uh, Argentina um, because of this. Um, And this is where he started learning how to design audio amplifiers and electronics and radio receivers um, when he was a teenager. And then... Um, After World War II, uh, he was designing public address systems at the time. So this is really the beginnings of all of this was with public speaking, with designing PAs uh, for Queen Elizabeth, for Winston Churchill, um, and recording their messages so that radio could distribute them more widely.
1: Wow. So sound reinforcement was always a big part of his history and and really vision. So that to me... You know the, the quote that you read um, that that really speaks to how that quote is informed because he was always concerned with conveying the message in a way that the audience could be impacted. That's really cool. So there are a couple other products I think that really apply to the live sound market, so to speak. Um, I think the RNDI. You know we've we've talked about it before, but as a as a DI, it to me is, I mean, it's in a class by itself in terms of just stability, sturdiness, and sound quality. Can you talk for a minute about what makes it unique as a product?
2: The RDI is one of my favorite things that that we make. Um, It is one of a lot of people's favorite things that we make. Uh, By numbers, Greg can confirm this, but I believe it's the number one sales item by number i would assume it
3: is the number one with a bullet yes
2: number one with a bullet and um the rndi is an interesting box because it's um people talk a lot about passive dis versus active dis and which one's better for use with certain things and they each have their their uh benefits each of these design philosophies but the rndi what it does is it marries the best parts of each of these designs in a way that that is uh, very synergistic and does a really nice job um, at, again, translating the natural sound of whatever instrument is plugged into it. And this, uh, a lot of it is born out of the fact that um, it's that wide bandwidth that, that I was talking about earlier, where this equipment is designed to work well below the range of human hearing and well above the range, and there is stuff going on down around five hertz that you can hear, you can perceive, and if you amplify musically relevant harmonics from these very subharmonic frequencies uh, that people are not used to getting through their DIs, you know, you're not used to those frequencies making it through if they're not only being uh, allowed to pass through your DI but they are being enhanced by this transformer that's in the DI, the passive component of the r the transformer, um, it creates not an illusion, but a perception of this, this extra octave on the low end that you just don't get from other direct boxes. Um, and that's a big part of it. And then the articulation on the top end is great because the, the FET circuit inside is a really excellent Amplifier and um, again, the wide bandwidth going all the way out, well past 100k. Um, as far as the robustness of it, this is a huge thing for the company as well. Um, everything's got to be whether or not it's designed for the road, because as you said, this is a lot of it is studio gear, it's made for studios. It needs to be reliable, it needs to be robust. Because when Rupert was building his very first mixing consoles and EQs in the 70s his greatest fear was that the phone would ring in the middle of the night and somebody would say, this is broken. Uh, well, what can I do? How do I fix it? It's not like there were techs in every major city that that could do this sort of thing back then. It was, Rupert was the guy that had to go do it, you know, and that still um, persists to this day that everything we make needs to be incredibly robust, easily maintained if it needs to be. Um, and, very roadworthy, which is one reason why it has not just been adopted by live sound engineers, but it has stuck around with live sound engineers yeah. because they know they can rely on it.
3: You know, a lot of people, uh, certainly me included, growing up, you know, uh, the concept of the DI is a is a really misunderstood um product for a lot of people. Um, and and it gets to the point when you don't understand the technology, you just go, well, that one's probably as good as as the next one. Um, but in reality, you know, the first time I heard an RDI after y- using what I was used to to using, um I was amazed, like Chris said, you you know, it it sounds like an extra octave kind of opens up on the low end and that the top end you can hear all of a sudden. So it's, it, it is amazing that when you have the opportunity to hear these tools firsthand um, and start to understand that there are differences, um, you, know, you start to appreciate Rupert's genius, I think, a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, live sound engineers are using outboard gear more than ever, I think, whether it's a live tour or a house of worship environment. Friends of mine, have started over the last couple of years, really trying to integrate some outboard gear into their process. Um, we talked about the 545 as the sort of 500 series version of the 5045, but you have other 500 series products that are easy to integrate to a, a, a live workflow. You've got the 511, which is a mic pre there's compressors and EQs. I don't remember the model numbers of those, but maybe you could just talk us through a couple of the other products
3: yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll go over the 500 stuff a little bit here. Um, yeah, it's amazing, to be honest, how much 500 series stuff is keeps showing up in live sound, like you said, and really just analog gear in general. Um, and I really think we've come kind of full circle on some of this stuff, to be honest with you. There was a time when digital consoles were first... Kind of being hatched, where I think people were really really excited about being able to use the the tools that were already built into the console and using plugins and minimizing the amount of outboard gear, but I think it kind of slowly dawned on everybody that to to get the sound that most artists and and front of house engineers who are artists themselves in many cases um, were trying to achieve a lot of this was only possible using uh, analog gear and um, the you know just to touch on the 500 series stuff that that you had mentioned, Jeff. You know the fi- we make we make about seven different modules in the 500 series. The 511 is a mic preamp. We make something called the 517, which is a mic preamp with the DI on it uh, as well. Um, there's a couple of modules that we make that are taken directly from our Shelford channel. Um, the Shelford channel is kind of our our premier kind of best of Rupert best of vintage Rupert channel strip um and we've taken two modules out of that one is a diode bridge compressor called a 535 and another is the EQ the inductor EQ out of that piece it's called the 551 and those are amazing pieces that now you know in in a in a little 500 series chassis people can take those on the road with them and use those as as problem solvers um in that way um Jay had already mentioned the 545, which is the, the 500 series version of the primary source enhancer as well. Um, and we make a VCA compressor in that series as well called the 543. Um, what am I missing? I think that's all of them, but, uh, yeah, those are all, and you see every single one of those tools out in, in front of house racks. Uh, it's, it's, uh, on vocal chains, um, on drum buses. Oh, you know one—I <laughs> I forgot really one of our biggest hits. <laughs> um, the we make something called the five four two, which is a tape emulator. Hmm. And the tape emulator is something that, um, as the name would imply, <laughs> it's emulating uh, what might happen on a tape machine, um, but in this little five hundred series module, done through Rupert's custom transformer design, and these you see in stereo pairs, people will put them on a drum bus, for example, to really give, you know, cause that was the, that was the trick right back in the day is like you hit the tape hard, um, with your drums, especially, right. If you want to, if you want to give it that sound. So people are running right. drum buses through tape emulators. So the, the, those are the seven different 500 series modules that we make. And we also make the chassis as well. We make a six space and a 10 space, uh, chassis that are very robust and roadworthy as well
2: one thing that's interesting to see is the the progression of live sound people with digital consoles starting to adopt individual pieces of analog gear into their rigs and cuz mm-hmm. it it's kind of a pain in the neck to come out of the box and then go back into the box and you're 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 asking people to to change their workflow you know it's it's yeah. a hard sell for a lot of people cuz it's like yeah my console has all these tools it can do all these things why should i bother with another stage of conversion why should i bother with more cables and more space and more weight and more things that i need to adjust that don't have recall it's a big ask but what we started seeing was when people dip their toes into the water of using a little analog you know say they've got a digital console that they love and they really want to level up sonically. Oftentimes people will start with either 500 series rack or even even simpler a, l- a little more expensive potentially but simpler in some ways the concept of the money channel, the shelford channel on lead vocal or on a pastor mic or whatever it might be they can say, you know what, the console is good enough for everything else I need to do, but I have this one channel that needs to be very special and it needs to sound really, really expensive and really good. And the <laughs> yeah. Shelford channel is what people will most often put in that spot um, because it does, that, like Greg said, you know, you've got your old school inductor, inductor EQ, transformer gain, mic pre. Um, diode bridge compressor, which is very colorful. It adds all the things that digital is not so good at, um, that analog is very good at. And then of course you have your silk texture switches, so you can add the transformer saturation. And it, it makes that one lead vocal really, really sing, you know, no pun intended, but it, it does, it does what it's supposed to do. It makes a vocal sound the way it should. So people will come out just for that. Or you mentioned the Master Bus Processor. This was the, the Portico 2 Master Bus Processor is the full name for it. Um, we've stopped using the Portico word a, a little bit over the years just to try and s- slim down our product family names and everything. But a lot of people call it the Portico 2. A lot of people call it the MBP, the Master Bus Processor. Um, and there are other Master Bus uh, units in that family now. Um, but the, the master bus processor was another one where people would come out of the box just for that, uh, and then go back in. And what that is, is a stereo VCA compressor, stereo or dual mono VCA compressor, limiter, um, stereo field editor and transformer saturation box. And it's a really great finishing tool and it's a great make it louder box. The limiter, especially on that is one of my favorites.
1: So thinking in terms of basically live mastering, I mean, that would be how I would describe the need for that. If you put that on your two bus as just sort of the icing on the cake, like a mastering engineer would find that extra 2 or 3% in a mix by by running it through the mastering stage, that's kind of the purpose of what you're talking about, that
2: application. And that box was designed for mastering engineers originally. That was the target customer.
1: Yeah, and again, just it's another illustration of that tool being now co-opted and leveraged for live use in a really effective way. Um, When I was out on the Chris Tomlin tour this spring, I had uh, basically five of the modules, the 500 series modules in a chassis where I was processing individual channels. And it was a great, a great way to sort of improve a few of those primary inputs. Uh, I think for people who are intimidated, I think you're, you're right, Chris, to start with maybe one thing and just use the analog I.O. in the back of your desk to come in and out. It is a really simple way to get back and forth to the to the analog stage with not a lot of latency. And then if you want to expand and do something bigger, then there are ways to convert. You know, I was using a Farofish analog to MADI converter so that I could basically get back into the desk MADI and had way more flexibility with I.O. than I could with what was available to me on the just the I.O. that was on the back of the console. So um, for as little or as much as you want to do, there are great tools nowadays to be able to make that happen. And I think, you know, think of it in terms of just an additional color in your palette. You know, it's not like you're making it sound completely different, but it's just a, a nuance. It's a way to have another just level of flexibility and another, another paintbrush I think is, is how I would describe it. So um, my experience with all the products has been terrific. And, you know, back to the RNDI, you may just want to add a new DI and, you know, you may have other things that you really like, but try an RNDI on your bass guitar and you might really think, wow, that's better than that's ever been. So again, you can go, Go little or go big, but I think there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of options.
2: Well, there, there's there's one there. There are two products that we'd be remiss if we did not mention here. Um, Greg, did you want to uh, speaking of going big, Greg? Do you want to <laughs> touch on the RMPD8?
3: Yeah, I think the RMP RMPD8 is something that that maybe the audience might be really interested in hearing about because it's a box A that was specifically designed for live sound engineers and that box was was born to, you know. Speaking of money channels, we we knew that that there was a need, there was a request in fr- from front of house engineers specifically to to bring something different. I won't say better or worse or, or or use any of those terms, but to bring something different, and specifically to bring something Rupert Neve into the live sound arena that would work really. Uh, seamlessly with what they were already doing in in, in digital console world. So the RMPD8 is an eight-channel mic preamp, but it's also got digital conversion in it. And that digital conversion then uh interfaces with the world of Dante. So it's got a a Dante output on it. Um it's got a redundant Dante output on it. And it's also got an AES uh, output that it's mirrored as well. Um, So it's you have uh, the ability now to bring eight channels of Rupert Neve mic pre into a live sound situation and connect it uh, digitally to uh, a Dante card in a console, for example, or put it on a network in a installed sound facility like you might find in a house of worship. And then you can control that box Remotely, and there's a few different ways you can control it. Obviously, like via the front panel, you can you can control it. We make an application that you can use on a Mac or PC, and you can control it remotely with this application. So all the front panel controls are then uh, you have the ability to control it via this this application. If you happen to be on a Yamaha console, um, they're a development partner of ours, and they um gave us the opportunity to be able to use their language and control uh have the box be controlled by a yamaha console natively so this thing can drop in in the place of a rio uh stage box for example and it shows up on your yamaha console as a as a native box and you can control it right from the head amps on your on your yamaha so the, it's that's very it, cool. Yeah, it's it's a great box and it's a great way to add um, a a different flavor to your uh, to your live sound setup.
2: You know, again, it's one of those things where there's stuff that digital does well, there's stuff that analog does well, and it's an opportunity to have a very very high quality analog front end on your digital console, so you maintain the advantages of both ways of working. I've been making a shopping cart this whole time.
3: <laughs> there we go, Jay. I like the way you think. It's not um, going well over here. It's going very well. Um, <laughs> no, so you know just on the subject of the r m p d eight one you know one of the advantages that we have in in making our own transformers is that um you know, and if you think about this. You know obviously it would be way, way simpler as a company for us to use an off-the-shelf transformer, for example. Um, manufacturing your own transformers, I, I can tell you is not a not a cheap proposition, but it's really the only thing that that Rupert um, could find after listening to everything that really really did the job for him
2: and and to interject briefly, not only just making your own transformers, but making transformers designed specifically for every single piece of electronics they go into. So we're not talking about like Rupert Neve Designs makes a transformer. Rupert Neve Designs individually designs all the transformers. So every single one in any piece of gear is purpose-built for that circuit. The Shelford Channel Mic Input Transformer is a completely different transformer from every single other one that you would find in any other piece of our gear. And they are all unique. It's wow.
3: nuts. <laughs> yeah, but you know, uh, just touching back on the RMPD eight. So one of the things that we we're able to do with that piece is that normally, you know, we do this thing that that Chris was talking about called silk and texture. We do that at the output stage of our out of our analog pieces of gear, and it's that that ability to add that second and third order harmonic distortion at the output stage that that brings what people term as you know you can use whatever term you want to warmth or or vintage vibe or whatever um but it's one of the things that people love about our gear but to do that on an rmp d8 is a little bit different proposition because there is no analog output stage on that piece it's a it's an analog mic preamp that then hits a an a to d converter and and is it it goes off into the digital world so one of the things we were able to do is come up with a custom transformer on that piece an interstage transformer that is able to 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 basically bake that silk right into uh the piece so there's eight uh custom transformers on that piece for example uh wow that yeah, that's 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 bringing the the Rupert Neve sound into the live sound world.
2: It's a pretty cool engineering feat because, you know, usually you're dealing with high input levels are what's causing the transformer to to saturate and therefore right. and this this is we're talking about higher voltages, you know, with when you're feeding converter level instead of line level as an output. The trick from an engineering standpoint is how do you get that transformer To saturate, to to hit core saturation at such a low, low, low signal level in a way that it still sounds like a Rupert Neve mic pre, and that's what they did with this box. And it's it's pretty miraculous. It's a really cool piece of uh, really cool feat of engineering.
0: I was about to say if you guys could combine that in a five hundred series chassis, just all in one for me, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, we'll take one of each.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or I could just rack them together. I mean, that would be the logical thing to do. But you know.
2: Well, I if as long as you're making a shopping cart, I should let you know that you should also look into <laughs> our latest product, which is called the Master Bus Transformer. Uh, this is another in the in the Master Bus series. It is um it's all the Transformer Saturation tricks we have in uh in one box. And it is Designed to sit alongside the MasterBus processor. Um, They both have a compressor in them. They both have silk in them, but they're very, very different. You can think of the MasterBus processor as our flagship dynamic control device, whereas the MasterBus Transformer is our flagship harmonic control device. Um, And it's very, very, let me put it this way. I'm barely qualified to operate a MasterBus processor. Maybe not huh. qualified to operate a MasterBus processor, but I, I I can confidently say that I am very qualified to operate the MBT or MasterBus Transformer. It's very easy to use. It's very intuitive. It's very creative. Um, the way the sections interact with one another, there's a shelving EQ that feeds into an optical compressor called the Color Comp, which is there not to be a bus compressor necessarily, but to be a color, a coloration tool. Um, there's a there's a width circuit on it that is very very flexible. There's what's called super silk, which is the ability to use silk red and silk blue at the same time with a master harmonics knob across the two of them there's a zener drive clip circuit in it and very importantly there's both an input and an output trim on the unit so you can kind of put both hands on those and see how much overall color are you adding to your mix so it's 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 a really i i will also say it's the most fun thing to use that we make um which is saying something for a lot of people but Again, I'm not qualified to operate a master bus processor, but I can do this.
1: <laughs> That's very cool.
2: That's awesome. And we have started to see those pop up in a lot of front of house situations too. Again, as like a um, as a, uh, the final, you know, you were talking about live mastering. It's kind of in that yeah. same vein.
1: Yeah, it just adds that extra bit of icing on the cake at the end of the uh, mixing stage, which is something everybody's kind of chasing. So I, th- I think it's cool. Well, guys, this has been so informative and so helpful. I think to all of our listeners, I've I loved hearing about the history and obviously Rupert's heart for the church has been something that was evident. You know, if you ever got to hear from him or know him, uh, which I think resonates with a lot of our audience. So, thank you guys for sharing with us today. Um, what's the best way for people to? reach out if they have questions. Is it just to go to the website or do you have um, any other ways to follow you guys? Like what's the best way to keep up with what Rupert Neve Designs is up to?
2: Yeah, website's a great place to start. You know, at the bottom of every product page, um, we have a link where you can email a product specialist, which gets directly over to our, our team in the office, um, which is based in Texas, by the way. I don't think we said that, but we are, uh, the company is based in Texas, even though Greg and I are kind of scattered as are a handful of us uh, around the country. Um, everything is is made in the USA and the company is, uh, is in Texas itself. And most of the manufacturing is done there too. Um, but yeah, website's a great place to start. We're also very, very active on social media. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, X, whatever it's called these days. <laughs> um, we're, we're, uh, we're everywhere. Um, yeah, we're easy to find. Reach out. We're always great. happy to talk.
0: While I was over here building my cart full of stuff that I can't afford and shouldn't buy, I noticed you have some stuff for vinyl, which is amazing.
2: We do. We make a uh, small range of hi-fi products. <laughs> uh, it's it's under the it sub brand so called Fidelis. Yeah, there's um there's a DAC, um there's a DAC preamp, there's a phono stage. And there's a headphone app.
1: Oh, I shouldn't have opened that page.
2: Yeah. That's exactly what I just did. Yeah. It sounds really good. (laughs) It's all, it's all I can say. It's more affordable than a lot of the hi-fi stuff you see out there, but it's, it's still, you know, it's all based on the same, same principles.
0: I got to get off this podcast before I start spending my whole year.
2: (laughs) Christmas
1: is coming, Jay. (laughs) I've been naughty. Let's get that clear. Oh, yeah, that's true. Let's, Let's be clear. Santa might not have much (laughs) coming to Jay's house anyway.
2: Well, thank you so much for having us, guys.
1: Yeah, thank you for being a part of what we're doing. We appreciate your support and love being able to tell people about what you guys are doing. So thanks for your time today, and um, I look forward to hearing and seeing what's next. Thanks so much.
0: Appreciate you guys.
1: Thank you. Appreciate you too.
0: Okay, real talk though. I have literally pinned everything on their website for purchase. I don't know how this (laughs) is going to go, but I'm like, I'm like a little
1: obsessive about this new phono preamp that I just saw on their website. I I pinned that one as well. I'm like, uh, if I need any sort of tax write off before the end of the year, that's going into the stocking for Christmas. A hundred percent. They have. Incredible
0: tools. The history is amazing. Like, yeah, totally. I I pinned uh, several th- uh, websites to read later, just more about Rupert Neve, and, and he had a heart for the church. It it goes to show that uh, God's people in mainstream commerce uh, at a high level of excellence. Like God blesses that. So, yeah, totally. Um, I think that's super cool. I would make this very very bold statement that okay. if you are have someone on a headset mic whatever brand and you're running out of room that you should consider the 5045 or the 545 if you're in a 500 chassis i watched jeff bring it into passion city world and i remember all of us not understanding i still don't understand what it does but it changed yeah and jeff you could probably expand on it
1: but check it out well, I said it in the, pot, in the interview, you know, it really is a voodoo box in a lot of ways. But I remember the first time I heard it was way back in the day when we went into, I think it was like the first time we were in a stadium with passion. It would have been the dome. And what it did for Louis, this was probably 2011, 2010, something like that. Um, what it did for Louie's mic in terms of gain before feedback in a 60,000 seat room was stunning and so to be able to bring that forward into you know any auditorium any speaker um, and through a you know there there are are consoles that have an emulation of it on board but i will say the hardware unit is you know the most special iteration of it so if you have space in your budget and in your rack to implement that it's just a great tool makes Makes mixing a headset mic so much easier, especially if they spend any time in front of the PA. So, you know, I do all these corporate things. And man, between the Dugan
0: and a 5045, yeah, it feels like I'm cheating. Yeah, it's like auto mixing. Yeah, I am. Well, that was awesome. My brain is like on 10 about all the incredible Neve stuff. So, I'm gonna go waste a couple hours on the internet.
1: Yeah, you go shopping and, uh, I hope to see you soon. We need to go to Lewis Barbecue, get your butt up to Greenville again, and we'll do it. Yeah, I will, so my butt can get bigger. (laughs) All right, buddy, take care. All right, guys,
0: don't forget, take care of your people.
1: Amen. All right, we'll see you soon, buddy. Bye.